0: You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, and I'm Hannah Young from the British Consulate. Chantal Martin is an artist best known for her large-scale black and white drawings and collaborative performances in both commercial and traditional art settings. In addition to prestigious solo shows at some of the most renowned art installations in New York and the US more broadly, Chantal has carved a path for herself that is as much intellectual as a producer and visual artist. Her art is an exploration of the role of artist and viewer, covering themes such as intersectionality, identity and play. During her two year tenure as an MIT media lab visiting scholar, she collaborated with the social computing group to use drawing as a medium to explore the interaction of social processes with physical spaces. And at the Brown Institute for Media Innovation, Chantal created a large scale wall installation and work with the Institute's research group to explore how visual and computerized storytelling might influence media and technology innovation. Chantal's also collaborated with a huge number of iconic brands, such as Nike, Max Mara. She's launched a global capsule collection with Puma featuring her drawings, has collaborated with legendary artists such as Pulitzer Prize winning Kendrick Lamar and with the prestigious New York City Ballet, where she created large-scale drawings in the performance hall and foyer of the Lincoln Center. She continues to teach as an adjunct professor at NYU Tisch Interactive Telecommunications Programme, where she works with her students to push the boundaries of storytelling, visual art, and technology. Chantal, welcome to Brits and the Big Apple.
1: Welcome, it's always funny listening to your own bio and being like, wait, did I do those things? I guess <laughs> I did, you know? <laughs>
0: Really impressive list and um, maybe you could kick off by talking us through your journey so far and how you came to be in New York.
1: Yeah you know that's such a big question and it's uh, you know there's so many different directions and ways of answering that but um, you know I think you know to step back a little bit I'm from I'm originally from London. I was born in Greenwich. Um, I guess that's like southeast London and um, yeah you know I lived in skipping ahead here I I lived in London until I was 23 and then in I think 2003 I moved to Japan and in Japan I was teaching English there but also became a VJ a visual jockey so my job there was to to create live drawn digital and visual uh, installations or performances to DJs and dancers and musicians and in Japan, I actually met Americans for the first time, uh, firsthand, and then that got me curious about America and New York. And so in 2008, I went to New York for the first time. And, you know, if anyone's been to New York for a holiday or vacation, you kind of know it's this like wonderful experience. And of course, after that, I was like, I wanna move to this place. And and so, um, you know, I, I found a lawyer, got an O-1 visa, and uh, and in 2009, early 2009, I moved to New York and, uh, you know, and then after that, I realized what a big mistake that was. But that's another story. But, you know, that's kind of like the long story short, originally from London, you know, did five years in Japan there and then came to New York in, in early 2009.
0: Wow. And tell us a bit more about your time in Japan and and maybe describe what a visual jockey does in a bit more detail, because it sounds fascinating.
1: Yeah. So I also have to remind myself, you know, just on the timeline and and what else was happening as well. So I went to I moved to Japan in 2003 and that doesn't really seem that long ago on in some respects. But, you know, even just thinking back, that was 2003. It's kind of before we already had smartphones. It was before we had Instagram. It's before we had a lot of the social media platforms. And so moving to Japan then was literally moving to the other side of the planet and being completely isolated because we didn't have those easy um, forms or or means of being connected. And um, yeah, so I I, I moved there after leaving art school and it was an incredible experience. And I I think I'm so thankful when I think back now about that experience because, you know, it was one of the last last times that you could move somewhere and be completely isolated or lost. Mm -hmm. And I think in that, in that space of being lost and not being connected to anyone that knew me or anyone that um, I grew up with. It was the first time where I was in an environment where no one was projecting onto me who they thought I were, who, who they thought I was. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't living up to any stereotypes or projections of, of how I thought my role should be in life. And then also just culturally growing up in England and in Southeast London, you know, without with with knowing it or not we are part of like the social societal cultural system that is is um is just inherent you know we we and we don't realize that we're playing into these roles of of certain classes or races and, and things like that and so completely moving to somewhere like japan none of that existed and i got to really start to know myself and that just getting to know myself I realized that I love dancing and I love drawing and so whenever I had any spare time I'd be finding out clubs and venues where people were dancing or playing music and then I wanted to get involved and and so I was like well I draw how do I bring drawing into these these club spaces or into these venues and Essentially, I became a DJ and just to elaborate on on your kind of question, like a VJ is a visual jockey. So you have a DJ, which is a disc jockey that is playing the music. And then you have a VJ, which is a visual jockey that's creating the visuals. And it's very big there or it was very big there. I'm not sure now, but it was a very big kind of culture and many people were VJs, but they would typically be mixing video clips or Um, kind of like pre-made clips. So imagine like different clips of music um, being played and then maybe they're taking clips from a, a movie that existed with other kind of visuals that existed and then they're mixing those together. What I was doing is that my VJ sessions were all drawn, they're all live drawn. And they were drawn either digitally or analog. So I'd either be drawing on pens and paper with magnifying glasses and post-it notes. And those would all be drawn under an OHP or a visual presenter. And that would be projected on or around the, the, the band or the DJ. Or sometimes i'd be using a computer that was connected to a drawing tablet and then i'd be drawing live digitally and in those instances you know i could zoom in zoom out you've got the music playing and i'm drawing and the crowd go Ooh, and i would write Ooh. and you know i think what i really loved about that time is that the other type of visuals or vj that i saw predominantly it felt like it was the background you know it wasn't very present it, it didn't have this sense of connection with the audience and the people dancing on the dance floor or watching these kind of um, avant-garde music experiences but as soon as you create drawing in those live experiences there's an instant connection you know it's happening in real time it's an experience that we're all having at that moment and i can respond to the crowd and respond to the music and so you know I ended up doing that for years and it was the preface of of like my whole career as an artist and I'm so um, grateful for that entry into kind of um, being an artist because it taught me so many things you know, when you draw live, it is the, the ultimate way of keeping yourself honest. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that when you're drawing, you don't have time to plan what you're doing you don't have time to think about what you're doing you don't have time to hesitate you don't have time to be insecure and you don't have time to be anyone else but yourself
0: mm.
1: and so you're just drawing in the moment and just extracting your core extracting yourself extracting your identity extracting your fingerprint and you know, now imagine you you repeat that, you repeat that, you repeat that, you repeat that. And then there's a few years have gone by and you've had this practice of just drawing live in the moment, just drawing in situations where there's no time to think, plan, hesitate or be anyone else. Mm-hmm. And now you have this power of reflection to look back and say, oh, that's who I am as an artist, because these are the recurring themes or lines or words or spaces or shapes or densities that keep coming out and so in a way it was really uh, an accidental career but a career that allowed me to accelerate my identity and fingerprint as a as an artist and and as a as an individual.
0: Wow I mean it sounds like an incredibly unique experience and you know just listening to you talk about how you can be expressive in the moment and you know that kind of organic bridge between art and dancing and technology Um, I mean do you you see yourself as an artist or do you see yourself more as a an entrepreneur or you know uh, how do you how do you visualize what you do
1: It's a good question. I I, I like to call myself an artist in a way because I feel like that's a very broad bucket. You know, being an artist can mean many, many different things. But when I really look at it, I am essentially an an entrepreneur. I am a creative. I am someone that's always trying to make something from nothing. I am someone that's trying to build something that's bigger than myself um, without knowing what that is. And, And so unlike a lot of career paths, there is no real model that is laid out before me i've not seen or i've looked for models or paths or examples of someone that is trying to do what i've done or has done what i've done and and taken that somewhere and you know for me there isn't something clear out there and so i'm 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 almost like this ship that's sailing in the night that's being reactive to these different opportunities that have come across my my path in 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 over the years um and then just you know just trying to figure out where I'm going but I think ultimately you know artists is the biggest bucket and so I think you know as creative people we don't want to restrict ourselves or put ourselves in boxes um and you know because the whole point of being creative is that you break those barriers and you break out of those boxes and um and you create things you invent things you you label things in new ways and and so you know, I think the way that we see ourselves is also important to kind of expand that as, as much as we can.
0: Something I love about your art is the way that you interact with your audiences, as you're saying, you know, from your time in Japan. And I wonder if you can tell me a little bit more about, you know, what what does that kind of connection between the audience mean for you? Is that a seminal yeah. part of your art? and And what do you get from it as well as yeah. what you give to it?
1: And, you know, I I mentioned earlier that there's this power of reflection when you've worked a lot, then you have that, that, um, you know, luxury to look back and see what are the recurring themes and and interacting with an audience is definitely something that's always been recurring within the work that I'm doing, regardless of the medium and regardless of the industry. You know, starting as a VJ, just instinctively, it just felt important to connect with the people that were there and present and it, and it felt important to create an experience. And, you know, I was a lot younger at the time, but a lot of the, you know, that, that five years of working as a VJ, I, I hardly have any documentation of it because my mindset at that time was that if I start to try and record this or capture this, then I become precious over the result, but it's about experiencing and embracing the process and the experience and and if that means that the memory of this experience is only carried in our minds then let that be it because otherwise we get bogged down with things and you know kind of years on I'm like oh now I don't have any document documentation of the first five years of my career but I did and I do feel like that experience is really important Um, and then also kind of now working in different ways it's still important to involve the audience because I think art it's something you know art in many ways has become like a bit of a dirty word you know and and what I mean by that is that there's like the art world and the art market and this kind of whole elitist thing and exclusivity thing and we forget that there is such a huge benefit for art being for everyone Mm. and if you're an artist that is, not that there's anything wrong with this, but if you're an artist that goes away and, and hides away and, and makes your work and then suddenly it pops up on a on a wall in a frame in a fancy gallery, you've already cut out so many people from your process and the end result. And for me, it's always just instinctively been important to share that process because it again, it keeps me honest because perhaps you're watching me and then now I don't have time to be anyone else. But it also, we have that connection of the magic being created, you know, the, the moment of creation. Now you understand how it's created and perhaps that inspires or sparks something in you to also create. And that's the power of art. You know, the power of art is to question and it's to inspire and it's to spark. And I think that you kind of lose a lot of that if if no one sees it. Mm. Or even you know, I think often now, you know there's there's historical precedent for artists to have you know art assistants or craftsmen that or craftswomen that 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 make their work. But I think now that you know there's a lot of artists that work at a really high level that that don't actually make their work, and they have assistants make it. And you know, like I said, there's a precedent to that, but I feel like right now they hide it a lot more than than they used to. and 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 so I think that even there is a benefit from not hiding that there's a benefit for saying, Hey, we are, I'm an artist and these are my assistants or my craftsmen and women, and we make this work together. And, and, and I think there's much more benefit to showcase that and you don't lose any of the magic. Mm. And I think there's often a lot of fear kind of, you know, tied up into exposing how work is made or inviting people into the process. Mm. And, um, and even just simply some of my larger murals, you know, I'd, I'd be at an event or, um, you know, working on a commission and, and sometimes I'd turn around and if there's people watching me, I'd just say, hey, what's your name? They tell me the name. And then, then I might write it in the wall. <laughs> and 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 that just shows it's driven, the mm. work's driven by the atmosphere, by, by, by the people, by the settings, by the present, by the moment. Mm. And then the work is then created uh, for that time and that space. And it meets me where I'm at, but it also meets all of us where we are Mm. at that time.
0: Mm. And I mean, you've been hugely successful in many collaborations and I'm interested in, you know, how how do you stay in touch, in control, sort of, you know, being able to be in the moment, but also as you become more successful as the commercial world starts to try and take a piece of Chantal Martin into, you know, theater or fashion, you know, how do you, how do you keep that authenticity as you become more successful?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think ultimately all of those things are a tool, right? You know, if we look at it like they're taken, then, you know, then you're kind of off on the wrong foot already. Mm. But if you look at all of those things as opportunities to amplify your work, to have a bigger impact mm-hmm. to be able to make something that you wouldn't be able to make by yourself to expose your work to a different demographic um if those institutions or brands or commercial projects are also aligned with you kind of morally and ethically and and have a similar agenda then those are incredible opportunities to to take what you're doing to a different level you know i think often um you know we have this romanticization of an artist and that the fact that like oh you know they shouldn't be mixed up with anything commercial or financial um but that's great if you have patronage or you're financially and independently wealthy and that's definitely a a really fun way to work but many of us uh don't have that and and so seeing other opportunities and finding opportunities in ways of still as an artist wanting to expand your message wanting to amplify the message we have these opportunities um, within institutions within commercial commercialization within brands to to put our work out there Um, you know i think it's more of the question is how do you know who are the right people or entities to work with and then, you know, just some, I, I just kind of listed some of those things in the way, but, you know, for me personally, if someone reached out to me, it's like firstly, you know, do I have time to do this? Do I have the bandwidth to do this? Is it something I would be excited about? Am I, do I find this challenging ethically and morally? Do they align? You know, is there a, 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 a real exchange of value? So I feel like that's being met. Can I expose my work to a different demographic? Am I able to make something I wouldn't be able to do by myself? And then mm. those things become incredible opportunities. Mm. Um, and and you mentioned some of the partnerships. You know, being able to work with, for example, Max Mara. You know, it's uh, kind of family-owned, but has you know kind of um, this this legacy in a way. Or then being able to work with with Nike or Adidas or Puma. Um, and, and also, I think an, another thing to say on that, just to expand on that a little bit more, a lot of these projects with especially some of the brands, we're making a product. And I think there's so much power within product. So product is something that we see, something that we can gift. It's something that we can buy. It's usually something that is kind of s- potentially smaller in scale or, or price and more accessible in those ways. And... For someone like me who didn't grow up around art or going to museums or going to galleries, the way that I saw creatively, visually interesting things is if people were wearing it, Mm. you know, and and so I think sometimes we often overlook the power of the canvas of ourselves Mm. and the, the way that we carry ourselves out into the world and what we wear. And so, you know, if I can create a meaningful product that has a message on that is something that someone wears, someone then gets to be a vessel for this message and carry it out there in the world. Or it could be, you know, a, a key tag that I've I've created, for example, for the Whitney Museum. Mm. Someone might not be able to afford, you know, a, a piece that's hanging in a museum, but they can go to the gift shop and be like, oh, for a few bucks, I can buy a really well-made meaningful gift that is collectible. Um, And now I'm collecting art. And so I think just looking at the accessibility of scale and product. um, But I think, yeah, essentially to answer the the question, the bigger question there, it's like you've got to do all the things that feel right and say say no to the things that feel wrong. Um, And then you kind of get to start to look back at at your track record and then you get to see if you're, you know, you're making the right decisions or not.
0: I think that's a really, really powerful point about, product, actually, and, and using that as an accessible way of people being able to interact with your art. Um, uh-huh. what, which collaborations have you been particularly proud of or excited about or felt particularly cutting edge?
1: Um, I don't know about cutting edge, but, um, you know, I'm proud of, uh, I just did a recent project that um, I think launched in November last year with with the Whitney Museum, with the shop there. So the Whitney Museum shop, I did a takeover and collaboratively we produced a lot new, you know, new product and then also showcase some of my existing product. So, for example, we uh, produced a really beautiful Edition of neon works and I'd never worked with neon before and we worked with an incredible company called light bright neon who produce a lot of the kind of art world neon and but then in addition to that we had you know postcards and key tags and a blanket and a t-shirt and you know my book there and I love that because museums can be incredibly intimidating places and spaces. You know, you walk in and they ask you if you remember and you don't know what to say. And, you know, I feel like there is these kind of barriers to entry. Um, and then also, you know, how they collect and what they collect, that is also just, you know, it's, it. there's a whole facade and way of how that machine works. But the shop is something that is a bit more familiar to us. It's a bit more welcoming. Um, I feel like in a way, it's a museum within itself. And and so if you can create product in that way, and, uh, and this was the first time the Whitney Museum's ever done this that for the shop there. And it's something I've been trying to do or encourage museums to do, because also it's another way of supporting artists. You know, essentially there's a a royalty or a revenue split and and the shop often gives you more of a space to bring in new and emerging and existing artists. And and so I think, you know, there's these new models that can exist. So I mentioned that project because firstly, you know, I think they took a bit of a risk to try something like this But I think it also showed that this is a venue or space to support artists outside of, you know, once you walk into the museum. Um, I'm also very happy with or, you know, proud of the work or an installation I did at Governor's Island. You know, and this this is still on, actually. So Governor's Island, little island kind of south of, of Manhattan possibly south correct me if i'm wrong um but you you, but you take a ferry over to governor's island and you know they have these incredible experiences over there and there was an ex-chapel um that had been um kind of out of commission for over 25 years and and so that became the home of an installation or a space or an experience that i created called the may room and the may room is a space essentially for freedom, poetry, and contemplation. And you walk in and it's, you know, it's like all white space, and you you walk in and you see these handwritten signs that say, please remove your shoes. And so you take your shoes off, you leave the outside outside. And then when you walk in, you'll see uh, a maze on the floor in the form of a drawing that I've created. And so you start to walk between these lines. And then you start to become calm and recalibrate yourself. And then when you do that, you start to look up and you see all the drawing that I've created in this space. And within that drawing, there's lots of letters. And then you start to realize that the letters are phrases and the phrases are multiple phrases of may. May you be kind, may we save trees, may you, may you, may we. And. The more calm you become, the more that you feel like you're kind of soaking in or exerting out these well wishes and in between the the wall drawing you have this beautiful kind of stained glass. um, You know, very colorful stained glass windows that were there originally and and they kind of, you know, depending on the time of day disperse this really beautiful, colourful light in, in the space. And, and I, I'm really proud of this in a sense of creating an interactive experience that's unplugged, mm-hmm. that is more thoughtful. Um, you know, we've worked on really meaningful collaborations, for example, with the Poetry Society, they they did um, uh, readings there from, from different poets to kind of activate the space with the voice. and. Essentially, you know, I think it looks good and it feels good and it's meaningful. And so, if I'm kind of doing all of those things and personally i'm 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 kind of proud about that. Um, and you know there's lots of things I could mention, but I think lastly, I just had my first museum retrospective show at the New Britain Museum of American Art, which is one of the oldest museums in the country. and that's incredible, you know to to you know, firstly, you kind of you have like, oh, wow, I feel old, like I'm having a retrospective. But it's so nice to have 20, 25 years of work or selected works in a room or in a couple of rooms. And you get to see like the variation of the work. And I think often many of us depend, you know, in any regardless of the career or industry that you're in, Sometimes where we're going or what we're doing doesn't make any sense. You know, we're jumping here, we're going here, we're jumping here, or we end up here. And then you have a retrospective show and then you get to see how it all connects and it all makes sense. And I think there's such, a, um, I don't know what the word is but there's something really sort of curing or satisfying in being like, often not knowing what the hell I'm doing or where I'm going, but then looking back at the last 25 years and being like, oh, that all makes sense. And I might not know what the next five or 10 years looks like or the next 25 years looks like. But now I can probably trust that when I get there, that will also make
0: sense. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's um, really profound and um helpful for people who feel like they have to always know what the next step looks like that actually yeah. you can just live in the moment. And I should also make a plug for the May room, which is the most incredible experience. And well, as you know, um, my seven year old daughter was totally captivated by it with her school and uh, then went on to create her own art in the style of Chantal Martin. Um, and you talk about um, transitions and I wanted to ask, about the way the art world has changed, and particularly, I was going to ask about crypto um, and NFTs, which is something that you've embraced. And I wanted to find out a little bit more about, you know, why you went down that route and what that means, and how that, you know, how does that sort of um, amplify your 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 work?
1: Yeah. Well, firstly, let's acknowledge that your, you know, your daughter has been enjoying my work and then creating her own work because like that always blows my mind. You know, there's, there's hundreds of kids learning about my work in schools and, you know, doing shank mine workshops, which is crazy, you know? Um, And so this is a a young generation that will grow up having known or experienced or, you know, worked through workshop through my work. And, and, and so I don't even know even how to explain how that feels or what that means but you know i find that incredible so i think that you know is amplification or kind of legacy or you know and the fact that i'm a living artist and i exist and they can go on and find my youtube and you know explore more and find out more i think that's incredible um and, you know, so then to jump from that into NFTs, like, you know, I feel like those people are the future. Mm. Uh, NFTs is, um, you know, it's something or crypto. I've always been interested in technology, you know, as I said, kind of starting my career as a VJ, you know, working with mixers and high tech and low tech and and then, um, you know, coming to America and very early on collaborating with friends. Um, who work with code and you know I still to, the, to this day I have a number of friends and, and we have worked on a lot of kind of drawing and code projects over the years um, you know I kind of early on tried out um, you know VR and AR and I think the last kind of earlier in my career the first 10 years of my career I was alpha and beta testing a lot of kind of new drawing top um, technology and software and so I've always been interested in, in technology, you know, also being at MIT or ITP. Um, so it's always kind of been uh, a part of my curiosity and interest and collaborative projects. Um, NFTs is interesting in the sense that, you know, for me, I think it was almost like a perfect storm of, you know, we, we spent almost a year at home. Uh, you know we weren't going out in the world Um, a lot of people were spending more time online looking for other kind of uh, communities or opportunities and you know for for me I I find it interesting I, I initially found it really interesting because I was like wow like this this reminds me of the VJ in or the club scene in Japan you know it's kind of Um, there was a huge community and everyone was excited about it and people were very open about it and very collaborative about it. And, you know, we see people just collaborating on mass for the first time. And, you know, I think there was, and is such an excitement around that. Um, It's, it's very um, interesting how that gets caught up now with just, you know, when anything seems to make some money, there is just this market that just comes in, you know, and then just like starts to dictate it, dictate it and make lots of decisions that perhaps aren't for the long term. you know. So I think in in a way, there are things about NFTs that people got really excited about, you know, the opportunity to have uh, you know, uh, resale royalties or you know secondary third third market. Uh, royalties that get passed back to the artist, and you know these are things that have, have existed in some parts of Europe for a long time. They have existed in in other industries for a long time. Um, the idea of of you know having uh, if you create uh, an artwork, for example, as an NFT and you sell it, then you can see on the blockchain you know where it went and who it went to and potentially how much it sold for. And so you know potentially having that transparency with that so I think ultimately you know it's something I was initially really optimistic about um and 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 now I'm less optimistic about it in the sense that I've seen just the amount of money and startups come into it and there is now there is a lot of anonymity in it and and so my hopes of just like just real transparency Mm -hmm. is not I'm not as hopeful for it but I think you know regardless of that People have been creating, they've been collaborating, uh, Collaborating. they've been making work, they've been pulling it out. And it just comes back to that idea of art. Like the more people out there creating and making, mm. the better the world is. Because if we are in a creative zone, um, instead of like a survival stone, zone, then we are putting out positive things in the world. So, you know, I don't know if that answers the question, but, you know, I think for me personally, I want to use it as an opportunity to collaborate. I want to use it as an opportunity to do things I've not done before. I want to use it as an opportunity to perhaps push myself creatively and challenge myself. Um, I want to use it as an opportunity to um, think of things that um, I wouldn't be able to make in the real world because of physical and perhaps financial limitations with fabricating or building, but now perhaps in, in in these more digital spaces, I'm able to have a bit more freedom. And so I think also just for our imagination as creatives, um, we have perhaps potentially a lot more space to imagine and build than we do kind of in, in the real world.
0: Mm. And who knows what the next NFT style tech will be. I mean, as you were saying, yeah. you know, the new generation yeah. will look back on this and probably think, you know, oh, how two-dimensional that all was.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think that's also just a, it's a good point in just, you know, I think as we make these new technologies, because we're so in it, we forget that these things evolve very quickly. You know, it's like when CDs came out or mini-discs came out or Blu-ray DVDs came out, and we thought that was it. And then very quickly, you know, no one even really remembers those things. So I think just, you know, whenever we're creating, there's, you know, I think two things that are really important is one of them is just thinking about how to future the the work that we're creating so that it can last and it can exist. Um, And the other one is just the intention behind the work and the platforms that we create. Um, You know, ultimately, if we have good intentions behind those platforms or work, or um kind of things that were technologies that we're putting out there in the world if there's good intention it's going to probably lead us to a good place mm-hmm. but if there's not good intention it's probably not going to last long and it won't lead us anywhere you know so i think those those are a couple of things just to, for us all to keep in mind perhaps
0: mm-hmm. um and finally uh i wanted to ask what what advice would you give to young aspiring artists. I and mean, as I said before, my seven-year-old daughter is a huge fan of yours. And you know, you've captivated her creativity. You know, what what advice would you give to her as somebody who, you know, I could very easily see wanting to go into the art world?
1: Yeah, well, you know, young, not so young, older. Um, you know, I feel like we should also leave that room open for mm. to inspire. Um, all generations because you know the more creative we can all be i think um the better there but you know for the for the younger um people out there you know no rush there's there's no rush i think the, there's a challenge now if you can go on social media and see all the options of what you could imagine you could be or what you couldn't even imagine you could be you know the options are there and we see people doing it and i think that creates a sense of fear in, in younger people that they're not doing things fast enough or they're not being successful enough or people are already doing it really really well so why should they even begin and so firstly i would say be patient um and and secondly i would just say just put one foot in front of the other and see where it takes you you know put one foot in front of the other kind of trust yourself have good intentions and see where it takes you. Um, if you're a little bit older and and um, you know you're trying to maybe change careers or uh, you know try to to go down this art path, I would say that you know don't play the if game. And and what I mean by that is you know well if I had money and if I had collectors and if I had a gallery or if I had a bigger following or if I had this, and it's like no what what do you have? okay what do you have and start there and and you know when you kind of do an audit of what you have and whom you have you probably have a lot more than you realize mm-hmm. and and then you can create your own opportunities there hey like i'm just starting out i don't have a gallery i don't have this but i have my bedroom like i have my friend has a nice space and, you know, maybe I can create some works and do a showcase, like do a virtual showcase or invite the family around. And next time they invite, I invite my family and they invite their friends and, you know, like very grassroots, you know, you're you're building. Because the last thing you want to do is kind of just like jump ahead. And then you've done yourself a disservice because you haven't allowed yourself to have that growth and that experience.
0: Being in the moment being content rather than always looking for something else um thank you and thank you um so much for talking to us it's been an absolute privilege i love the authenticity and the accessibility of your art and as i say you've got huge fans here in the young household so um thank you very much and thank you for coming on brits and the big apple